So it's 8.32, time for us to crack into word domination. Now, Margie Orford is an author. She's been published by Jonathan Ball Publishers, and her new book, The Eye of the Beholder, is out. She's recognized and has been dubbed the queen of South African crime fiction. She lives in London now, but her Claire Hart crime novels have been translated into 10 languages. She has, however, deviated from her protagonist, Claire Hart, And in the new book, The Eye of the Beholder, we follow the lives of three protagonists, Cora, an artist, her daughter Freya, and Angel. Angel and Cora are intrinsically linked through a history of abuse and extreme gender-based violence. And when an art expert goes missing in Canada, these three women start to, I suppose one could say, connect with one another in order to understand their past but also their future. Now, the book has been set in uh, the scorched red earth of South Africa, the pitiless snow fields of Canada, I'm quoting here, and the damp landscape of Western Scotland. And each woman must contend with the specters of male violence, sexual abuse, and the choices we each make to keep our souls. Having quoted that, it's important to note that the geography that Cora and Angel travel through Canada, South Africa, Scotland, and the visual artworks created by Cora, the artist, become metaphors for the female body and indeed metaphors for the sexual abuse they experience as well. All of this under the eye of the beholder. I chatted to Margie Orford earlier this week and I asked her about the book. She said it had been a hard book to write and she was quoted uh, a while back saying that the book was something that I love and I'm afraid of. I asked her about that. The eye of the beholder was a really long time in coming. It took me a long time to write it. And um, I suppose just sort of quickly. I- okay, we seem to have lost that audio. We'll try and see if we can get back to it. We uh, interviewed Margie Orford a little earlier. And uh, the book is called The Eye of the Beholder by Margie Orford. It's published by Jonathan Ball. I'm really, really hoping that uh, our team have got the audio and that they will continue to play from here on in. Uh, Guys, can I check it or are we going to have to go to a song? I suppose just sort of quickly, I'd done, after the Claire Hart series, I'd written a sixth one, which was about an investigation into the production of child pornography in Cape Town and various things. Mm. And I sort of finished the first draft of the book and then I decided I can't publish it in this way. It just felt to me unethical because with a private investigator like Claire was, you know, this sort of, she's like a looking I, you know, she would have had to look at the material. That's how I'd set it up. She discovers it, you know, it was, it was, and it was based in all the sort of research and stuff that I've had always done for those books. But I felt that the form of the novel was reproducing the crime itself because you are looking at a distance at these images, um, which for a whole number of reasons, the sort of idea of, of the, I mean, pornography in general as it is, um, is, is so demeaning and diminishing of women. I mean, I, I've, I've not, I'm not a, a prude at all, but I think it just replicates a kind of gaze, the sort of male gaze, which objectifies, et cetera. And I, in that form, even though she was such a feminist heroine, it reproduced the crime. I just thought I can't, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So I canceled the, you know, the publication of that book and canceled the book deals. And people said, you're mad. It's just a novel. But I just thought I'm not going to 
add more of this into the world. You know, I felt I'd got to the edge of what I could do with a procedural investigation, that particular genre. But I really wanted to write about this thing because I think that, you know, the origins, and you said like all women or probably most women will feel this thing. And I was talking to someone yesterday, she said, the book made me think of that like prickle of shame the first time when I was a little girl where a man looked at me and I said, yes, it just goes in the body. And right at the heart of it, the kernel for me is that feeling that every woman I've ever spoken to or read about or known is that you learn to see yourself through this, what I call the male gaze. It's a phrase from a film critic called Laura Mulvey who wrote about how cinema works, but it goes into your body. It's like inserted, like this horrible little VHS video of shame that goes into every cell in your body. And it's almost impossible to then see yourself to be able to see yourself, to be able to inhabit yourself because you see yourself from the outside of this gaze that turns you into an object. Um, and it's such a widely used phrase, that sexual object, women and girls are sexual objects. And I thought, what does it mean to be a thing? Like a table or a stone or a rock or a plastic bottle, you know, those are things. And if they are destroyed, you it doesn't really matter. Um, so what is it at the heart of it? I have this, I had this question and this for me was the really frightening question of what does it mean to be made into a thing? Now that is an old trope in religions. Like, you know, the Greeks used to argue uh, Aristotle and all of them do women have souls. There's still quite a lot of people who ask that. Do we have what it takes to be human? We know what we do. So it was trying to drill down to that. So that was very t- difficult. I wanted to just jump in and ask you, you know, you talk about this this idea of the hiding and the mm. shame. And it's so interesting that you say that because one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading, um, you know, in, in particular, you talk about, and, and I'm, I'm obviously there's a spoiler alert, but you talk about this creation of an artwork where the artworks are hidden behind the screen and behind the gauze. And I thought this is like the metaphor for the covering up of the violence, the shutting down. And it was such a powerful metaphor to use it as an artwork, to use the artwork as the metaphor, because you would think that the the artwork is present. But in the case of what you create or what the artist um, uh, Clara creates is that it's hidden again. And there's so many of those metaphors. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, um... Like when I read it afterwards, I thought, oh, okay, this is a metaphor. This is a literary thing. But so the main character, just so the readers have a little kind of way in, the book starts with this woman, Cora Berger is her name, fleeing the sanctuary of this warm little cabin into the icy wastes of um, sitting in Canada, the start. A landscape she doesn't know, the ice, the snow. She's totally lost her bearings, but she was... The, the question is, why does it feel safer for her to be outside of this place in this blizzard than inside this little sanctuary? So she's fleeing with, she doesn't even know what she's done. Has she done something? Has something been done to her? It's uh, it, this kind of ambivalence. And she goes back to her house in Scotland, her studio, and she makes this, the, what you were referring to, this enormous artwork where she's covering everything up with snow. She's but she's hidden all sorts of things behind it to give the texture. 
And I mean, the book is kind of spoiler alert and sort of trigger around the long duration of sexual assaults on sexual um, crimes. Um, sorry, my phone is just ringing. Um, and she she's kind of reaching for me. What she was doing is reaching for those feelings, which are all those experiences, which are beyond language. They're mm -hmm. outside of language. So what I tried to do was write a book about images in which you never see the images. Um, you don't, you want to see them. You know, the thing is about, about pornography, people say, oh, it's absolutely terrible, but, but show us, show us this thing. You know, there's that kind of ambiguity. You want to, you think if you see it, you'll know it, but she's hidden behind there, this kind of, this, these feelings that she's carried all her life of this trauma she has as a, as a young girl being unable to remember it, unable to express it, unable to put it into a language that makes sense of the damage done because she didn't know it at the time. I think most of us who've experienced a sexual assault across the spectrum from the, the worst to the sort of seemingly uh, least harmful mm. or least life-threatening, you carry within you this fracture, this it's like a rock beneath the surface of yourself and it, it, it makes the surface of yourself eddy in this complex way. Um, so it was really trying to understand what happens when a crime is that is, that never ends is committed. And that I got, I, many years ago, I did an investigation into, um, this man who set himself up in Cape Town as a photographer and he kind of lured these very young women. Uh, took photographs, gave them drugs, various things. And I interviewed five of them. They were completely traumatized from a spectrum of, you know, Cape Town social hierarchies, if I can put it like that. And I remember this one girl said to me, it never ends. And I saw the footage of what had been done to her and it was horrific. And she said to me, it never ends. Even when I'm asleep, somebody somewhere will be watching this thing. And it's, I did that. 20 years ago, that story, maybe 18 years ago. And it stayed with me. What is a crime that never ends? How do you deal with it? And I think sexual assaults are like that. They're crimes that never end. You carry them within you, tucked away in, in hopefully like a little safe place where they won't suddenly go off again and try to kind of like hide them from yourself. So that were, those were the kind of framing things. And especially with Cora Berger, she's about 50, I suppose. And, and she's carried this lifelong thing, trying to make it into something with her art. You know, it's kind of her inspiration, not her inspiration, her engine in some ways. Yeah. She turns her experiences over a lifetime into, she internalizes them into shame. And she's kind of set up against the young, this very young woman, Angel Lamar, who is the same age as Fre her daughter, Freya, who turns what has happened to her into rage. So they, they kind of um, twinned in a way, those two characters. They, Angel is after her. She wants to find out who she is and what Cora has done. So what the book made me afraid is and I thought I have to find the truth of what this experience, these experiences are and how they express themselves in these characters' lives or in, in our lives, in women's lives. So we'll talk about Angel in a moment. and But, you know, what's very potent about this book, Margie, is this idea of the body as geography, but also the landscape, the geography of the landscape almost as body in a way. So 
Mm. One gets this, as you know, you mentioned the snowscape of Canada. You mentioned, you talk about the redlands of South Africa, the, the wetlands of Scotland, and each one presents a different narrative which is holding these characters, this character of Cora, the character of Freya, the character of Angel. And all of them will be spoken about in a review up front um, before the interview. But I found that incredibly powerful and incredibly claustrophobic. And in many ways, that's exactly what, you know, violence, gender-based violence is about. It's about, as you say, never escaping. I wonder if you could if you don't, the landscapes. The landscape, well, let me talk about too, the, the, the feeling of claustrophobia is very important because they're very confused find spaces mm. in the novel and then these like vast spaces. I think that one of the things that sexual violence, the, the, the sort of effects it has on a person who's, who is subjected to it is this feeling of incredible loneliness because it's not something that can be said. Mm. Often when you do say it or when women do say it, it's not something that can be heard. So some of the things, you know, it's not so much women not speaking, it's other people being unable or unwilling to hear what it is. Often the language is a, that one uses for it is an approximation of, this, of the experience. So it's like this or it's like that. But you can't reproduce it. So you get this terrible loneliness in people who've suffered a trauma. Um, the landscapes, I don't know, landscapes always been very important to me. I mean, I think that, um, I think it's partly from growing up in South Africa and, you know, the sort of complexity and intensity of the land is both sanctuary and danger, a place where you can both hide and you're very exposed in it. It's also those vast landscapes that I chose two of which I know very well, South Africa and Scotland, that sort of Canadian wilderness. I've, I've spent a few winters in very, very snowy places. And for those of us who are not used to it, it's just like you look at it and everything is erased. It's like mm -hmm. magical. You know, it was there, but it's gone. So you're, the tracks are hidden, the tracks of where somebody went of what was done. But I think in all my books and perhaps most in this one, I've looked at how women are associated with the earth and with the land as mm. complex ideas which often add to our oppression you know we sort of seen as part of nature but that they're also places in which a canny woman can hide herself yeah you can use aspects of it because you have to use different kind of strengths different kind of escape tactics because you don't have the physical strength um that a man might uh, might have so cora a core and angel particularly are very attuned to the land, to animals, to all of those sorts of things. Freya less so, you know, she's not a trauma. She's lived alongside a, a person who carries a wound, but she, so it's a kind of second generation thing, but she moves much more easily. She sees it on the surface. You know what I mean? She's not a hunted animal. And there is something about these women who are, who have been hurt physically yeah. and psychically. Um, that makes them like a hunted animal. Mm. And then landscape is both threat and sanctuary. You know, that duality, which is yeah, what I was trying to get. Exactly. At. Well, totally achieved. Um, oh, thank I you. Want to go, I want to go to this idea of, I suppose, the eye of the beholder. You know, the eye of the beholder <coughs> does obviously talk to the male gaze. But then it's <coughs> to make me think a lot about, there's also the eye of the beholder of the reader as well. 
And this idea that we, you know, I was thinking of that Hernan Diaz book, Trust, which is on that mm. booker, which talks to how each story can be told differently, um, depending on who's telling the story and who's viewing the story. And I find that completely profound because it it also talks to the responsibility of the audience or the reader as well. I wonder if you could just maybe take that a little further. Well, the eye of the beholder, we all know it comes from the phrase that beauty lies in the eye of the beholder. But if you are the person, a, a person, a woman in, you know, specifically and within sort of patriarchal culture, going back thousands of years, you are the beheld. And it's a complex word, word that because there's something about how you're transfixed by it, yeah. how you are turned into an object. If you think of, you know, uh, stories like Pygmalion and various things where you are frozen into the surface of yourself, which you then have trouble inhabiting. Now, I've always had one of my sort of psychological issues all my life has been this difficulty of how I inhabit my life. How do I live in it? Sometimes I feel like my life and my body is a kind of stage set in which I, I sometimes rattle around and sometimes I sort of fill it up. But there's this feeling of of that the person I understand to be the inside person and the outside person, there's a there's a disjunct. Okay, so so that's why I have therapists and go intermittently mad at various things. But it is very much this uncanny experience that I think many women feel as how they looked at it is absolutely not how it takes your they agency are. away from you. Hmm. Yeah, it's not who you yeah. are. I mean, it's it's you, we all have. It was Gabriel Garcia Marquez said we hmm. have each person has a public life, a private uh, public self, a private self, and a secret self. Yeah, I was interested in what happens when there's a break in between those things. I think that more what I've been thinking about the eye of the beholder. I've thought a lot about what pornography does you know mm. and I, I started off with thinkers like Catherine McKinnon who who said yes. it's absolutely it's violence against women and it leads to other violence and there was the sort of ladette yeah. uh, sort of feminism of the 90s which just says okay we're going to be like one of the boys but it does not work like that if you look at what's happened with revenge porn with this sort of you know, all this kind of choking and, you know, these kind of defenses of the, oh, we were doing this thing. And there is something about this pornographic gaze, which has really disturbed me in, in yeah. how it's shaped to culture. And I would, but what I was interested in all the time is not what the images are, but what it yeah. feels like. And so in the book, I hope this is not too much of a spoiler. In the book, the, you know, part of the, the driver in a complex where you never see these images. You see two women who are, whose lives are shattered by it in yeah. different ways, different experiences of it. But I wanted to frustrate the eyes of my readers in that they will not see them. You won't have the easiness because there's something about looking that gives you a distance. You know, it's really about, often the satisfaction of crime novels is that mm -hmm. you see this terrible spectacle of violence. It's mesmerizing. It's spectacular. You can feel all sorts of responsibility and various things or, or pleasure or whatever, but ultimately it doesn't get near you. Yeah. It doesn't get into you. And I thought, what does it feel like from the inside out? So that's with the, these obscuring artworks that Cora does is, is she, all her work, that I gave her 
it distorts the perspective. Yeah. It breaks the perspective. And I try to inhabit the, the body, even if I was describing moments in which that real split between that happens with trauma is there. Margie, you know, one, one can't help but uh, feel like you're behind the character of Angel all the way. Oh, I am so behind Angel. Even though the character of Angel is probably going off in a direction, and we know that, which legally is is wrong and whatever the case may be. I was really moved by that, but I also thought, my God, how many women are feeling this? They're just like cheering on something which we know is wrong but is right in the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, Angel, Angel is a vengeance character. I mean, I had very much in mind, so Diana the Huntress, she's on her own. She is really attuned to landscape, you know what I mean? And she's had to be. So she has this, her mother is killed when she's young. She has these very traumatic experiences. Um, I gave her a backstory of Lolita, actually, from Nabokov's Lolita, because I was very interested in a girl without a mother, literally a girl whose mother has been, her mother isn't murdered, but her mother is killed at a crucial stage. And I was thinking as well with Angel that many of us within a violent patriarchy like South Africa is, like Britain is, I mean, Britain is where I live now in London, you know, there's much less crime, but the number of femicides is catastrophically high. Catastrophically high, and we have to end it there. Margie Orford talking about her book, The Eye of the Beholder, published by Jonathan Ball Publishers. And as she says, the gender-based violence experience, how it is used through art, but also how it's used through rage with regards to the characters of the book. We apologize for the technical problems earlier on with the interview, but uh, it is a book that if you are interested in a dark thriller, but much more than much more than that, then this is a book to check out.